Okay, we are in First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17, and this is the chapter in particular where David slays Goliath, so it's, it's a really nice chapter, and we covered through verse 30 last time. So I'm going to read First Samuel chapter 17, reading from verse 31. <clears throat> when the words, First Samuel 17, verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, They told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. But he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took him from the flock, when a lion or a bear came and took him from the flock, I went out after him, and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Okay, so last time we saw how David was asking questions, saying, what will be done with this Philistine? What's to be done with him, uh, uh, who's taunting the armies of the living God? And they said, well, you know, whoever, whoever kills him, his father's house will be free in Israel, won't have to pay any taxes. He's going to get the king's daughter to, in, in marriage, and, uh, uh, and he'll be made very rich by the king. So all of these things are before him. So David is saying these things, that he's taunting the armies of the living God, and word gets back to Saul. Now, now some people think that Saul didn't recognize David. I think he actually did, because if you look back in, in, in chapter 16, it says that, that, uh, uh, that David had played the harp for, for, uh, for, for Saul, and it says in verse 21, Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly. This is in 16, verse 21. Loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about, whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would leave him. So Saul knew David and loved him. Now, that's not to say that, that, you, you know, Kings recognize everyone who tends to them. That's not at all, that doesn't happen. They don't recognize everybody. And I know this happens. I have hundreds of students in my classes and, you know, all semester they might even be sitting in the front row and I meet them and, and they sort of expect that I know them because they know me and I don't know them. I've had people walk up to me and say, you know, I start talking to them and they say, you know, I've had lunch in your home. Well, you know, when you have 50 people a week in your home for lunch, you don't know all the people that have been in your home for lunch. So, just because a king has, a, has an attendant doesn't mean that the king recognizes them, especially in another context. 
And remember, David is 15 or 16 years old at this time. We calculated that because his three oldest brothers were following Saul. So that left five brothers. So he's 15 or 16 years old. And at that age, people change very rapidly. They grow, you know, they can grow four inches, five inches, sometimes seven inches in a year. You know, so, so at, at that age. So, so David could be changing very rapidly. Nonetheless, I think he knew David because here is a young guy, 15 or 16 years old, coming and saying, you know, I'll take this guy on. And Saul says to him, you, you can't do this. Saul said to David, you can't do this because you're but a youth in verse 33 of 1733, while he's been a year, warrior from his youth. Then David recounts some things that happened. He said, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear would come, I took the lion from the, I, I took the lamb and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him, attacked him, and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. So it's, it's really interesting what, he, what he's saying here. He says, I've done all these things. Now, can you imagine a 15 or 16-year-old saying this to you? You think, you know, the, the kid's a liar. You know, typically, this is what you would think. The kid is a liar. If a man is saying this to you, you would say the man is a liar or he's mentally deranged. You know, you're not going to go to a lion or a bear and, and, and snatch a lamb from them. But if a 15 or 16-year-old is saying this, you, you think the kid is a liar and you don't think he's p- particularly mentally deranged. He's just being you know, a typical 15 or 16-year-old jerk sort of kid. You know, this is, you know, this is what, what 15 or 16-year-olds do sometimes. You know, they, they make these bold claims. And you, you give them no serious attention. You don't take them seriously for this. But Saul took him seriously. Because Saul had record of him. In fact, in, in, uh, in, in chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Then one of the young men said, Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, and one prudent in speech, and, ha- and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So, David had a reputation for being able to do these types of things. He was a warrior. Not that he had killed other men, but he had battled with animals. This was known about David. This is why David was chosen to come and minister to Saul. And this is why when David comes to visit his brothers in the battle and he starts speaking to some of these soldiers, they all start speaking to him. In, 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 uh, in verse 24 through, through uh, 30 of that same chapter, of chapter 17, there's men engaging with him. Men who are standing in a battle line don't bother with a teenager unless they know something about this guy. So this, David was different even at this point. So Saul starts believing him. David says, I can do this. I've done this sort of thing. And now look, look what happens. So, so then Saul tries to give him his armor. He says, look, I can't fight with this stuff. Remember we read about, about Goliath last week, that he's nine and a half feet tall, and he has at least 250 pounds of gear on him. So with 250 pounds of gear, you don't move quickly, even if you're nine and a half feet tall. That would be like a six-foot tall man carrying 150 pounds of gear. And certainly it can be done. But you're not running around very swiftly with that type of, of gear on. So, 
David says, I can't wear this stuff. I'm not used to it. And now you see a very calculated attack by David. And then we're going to come back and pick this thing apart. But look at how David does, uh, uh, participates in this attack. In verse 40, he takes a stick in his hand. So he's got a stick. And the stick is merely a ploy. He's got a stick. He's got, he's got his sling. And he's got a bag with five stones. And people say, well, why five stones? Goliath had actually four brothers. And... When somebody kills one of the brothers, the other brothers are obliged to kill that person. So he had four brothers. The four brothers are documented in First and Second Samuel and in Chronicles. And the four brothers of, of, of Goliath are actually killed by, by four of David's mighty men. But maybe that's why he took five stones in total. Maybe he was just taking extra ammunition. We don't know. But he took five smooth stones with him. Now in verse 41, Then the Philistine came and approached David and the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Verse 43, The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is of the Lord's, and he will give you in our hand. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came near and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into his bag, took it from it a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Look at how David participates in this attack. It's really cunning how he did this. In verse 41, the Philistine came and so he sees one man coming from the armies of Israel, from the battle line. They're up on one hill, Philistines are on another. David starts coming down. So, so the Philistine is standing forward of his battle line and taunting the armies. And now one man comes out. That man is David. It says, the Philistine saw David approaching. Uh, uh, the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Why did he disdain him? For three reasons. One, because he was a youth. In other words, this kid? Remember, here's a nine and a half foot tall warrior. I guarantee you this man is huge and ugly. Because when, when, you're, when you have that sort of, uh, uh, of things genetically with your body that are going to make you nine and a half feet tall, you have growths and all sorts of other things about you. So here is this... this uh, uh, Young kid who's coming, and it says he disdains him because he's a youth. I mean, this is humiliating. Number two, he's ruddy, meaning he's red. To this day, red hair is unusual in Israel. You do see them because of the European influence, but in that day, it was particularly rare. And remember, Goliath is, 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 is one of these Philistines. These are kind of hairy people, and they have hair on the back of their hands, and Hair growing out of their ears. I mean, these are tough, tough guys. And here's this kid with red hair. And when you grow up and all you see are people with black hair and, you know, like, like descendants of Esau, hairy men, 
and some kid comes and he's red-haired. You, you don't even take him seriously. And it was because of this, because he was wrong, young and red-headed, that he disdained him. And the third reason, he had a handsome appearance. Remember, Goliath is some genetic anomaly here. And one of Goliath's brothers, is, his four other brothers are named. His three, three of his four other brothers are named. The fourth of his four other brothers isn't even named in the scriptures. It's just named a feature about him. So, you know, they don't do it anymore. But when I was a kid, if somebody had a limp, they called him Gimpy. You know, they, they said this. This is not politically correct today. It's, it's cruel. But I'm just telling you, people described other people by features about them. It says, this is what the scriptures do too. It says of, of one of Goliath's brothers, it says he had six fingers on each of his hands. So he was, he, these are, the whole family is this genetic anomaly. So Goliath is not a handsome man. He's a strong man. But he's not particularly handsome. So when he sees a handsome young man, he disdains him. He gets him angry. I just read a report that, it's an interesting report, and I, I, I sent this to, to one of my postdocs who's, who's just went off to be a professor himself. And this report said that, that faculty members who are particularly attractive, their colleagues do not take them seriously. You know, this is just, just an interesting psychological study. And so their colleagues don't even take them seriously because faculty members aren't known for being, you know, the best-looking people. You know, and this is what's caused them to just, you know, keep their heads in the books because they weren't invited to all these dances and things. And they, they ended up getting their PhDs and they became professors. So when you get a particularly attractive professor, their colleagues don't even take them seriously. And so I sent this, this uh, clipping to one of my postdocs and then he says, then then to what do you attribute your success? I mean, you just... <laughs> so, um, but but he, he disdained him because he was good-looking. He didn't even take him seriously. This kid who's red-headed and good-looking couldn't be a warrior. I mean, fighters don't look like this. This guy isn't, you know, goes to proms and dances and that sort of thing. He's not a warrior. So it was for these three reasons that he disdained him. And then the Philistine says, am, am, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because, you know, he's got his shepherd's stick. But that's just a ploy. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he probably thought if he just cursed him, you know, this kid would run away. There's no chance that a grown man carrying 250 pounds of stuff, no matter how big he is, can catch a 15-year-old running through up and down rocks. I mean, this is a shepherd. I was on... Uh, I was on a, 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 they had this, this chemical meeting, this, this uh, meeting on, on chemical electronics up in the Alps, in, in, in the French Alps. And so we're, we're at this thing, and then they said, you know, let, let's go walk across this mountain. So I'm fumbling around, and you know, I have my wingtip shoes on, and trying to fumble across this mountain. And there are these, these undergraduate students that are just running and just jumping over these things. I'm thinking, wow, there was a time I could do that. But there's no way I could do that now. And for them, it was no problem. You take a 15 or 16-year-old shepherd, there's no way he's going to catch this kid. This kid is probably lightning fast. This is only 20 miles from David's home in Bethlehem. So he knows the terrain very well. So he probably thinks that David is going to, is going to run away. 
And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. So he says, Come to me. He needs David to come to him. Remember, I told you, and I told you to think about this. In, verse, in chapter 17, earlier on, it says that he had his javelin slung between his shoulders. So it's on his back. So he's got a huge sword. He's got a, an armor bearer. He's got heavy equipment. He has that spear that that has the head on the spear is like 25 pounds or something. Heavy. His javelin, which is the only thing for distance, is slung over his shoulders. So he's saying, David, come on to me. There's no way David is going to get close to this guy. You see, this is the battle. David knows, I'm going to stay out of his reach. This guy could just rip me in two. I'm going to stay out of his reach. I'm going to keep away from him. It's a very calculated attack. And so the Philistine says, come to me and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the sky. He's been humiliated. Now he has to do this now because he's got all his his companion Philistines behind him. He's got to rip this kid to shreds. So what does David do? He says, you come to me in verse 45 with sword and spear and javelin. So the javelin you see is still with him. So he's got the javelin, but it's slung over his shoulders behind his back. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So he brings in the name of God. And you think that that's fine. David, yes, bring in the name of God. Now look what David does. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into my hands. So, you're like, David, don't say that. Don't, don't get him that upset. David specifically says, I'm going to cut your head off today. I mean, why would he do this? Now, this may seem really unbelievable, but when, when I was a teenager and, and the one sport that I was good at was boxing, and it was a different generation, it was a different day, and in New York City it was a big thing. But what we always learned is you have to keep your head about you. And, and anytime somebody was a young boxer, you could beat them by getting them upset. You do trash talk, and you do, do things, and as soon as they get upset... They no longer keep their hands right, they go, and then you've got them. You know, because there's no longer any defenses, they lose their mind about them, and then you just pound their head. You just get them. And this is exactly what David did. He got this man humiliated and really angry. You see what I mean? This was a very calculated attack. David was really sharp. Remember, this is going to be the man who becomes the greatest general that has ever lived. The greatest commander that has ever lived. Learn from him. He did something deliberately to get this man so upset that he loses his wits about him. And so he says this, and it says in verse 48, As soon as David finished this discourse of of enraging the man, Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. So the Philistine rose. So he was sitting down, you know, probably sitting on some stone this whole time because he's not taking this kid seriously. Plus, he's nine and a half feet tall. He's a genetic anomaly. He's got all sorts of growths on him, probably. He's carrying 250 pounds of armor in the hot sun in Israel with a big thing on his head and all this armor stuff. So he's sitting on a stone. So he's 
starts to get up, probably thinks all he's got to do is, you know, you know just give some movement and David's going to run away. But what does David do? He arose and he drew near to meet David. Then David ran quickly, quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Remember, the Philistine was used to men running from him. It says that earlier in 17, earlier in the same chapter, that men would run from him as soon as he marched out. He's not used to some kid running right at him. This is a big surprise. This kid is running right at him to meet him. He's not, you know, dancing around saying, you know, catch me and running around a stone and trying to wear the guy out. He's running right at him. So there's no need for this, for this Goliath to take out his javelin and get ready to, you know, throw it across this valley at him. No, David's running at him. This guy's got his spear, he's got his sword. Plus, he's got his bare hands to shred this kid. David's got a stick in his hand. He thinks David is going to engage him with the stick. While David is on the run, it says in 49, David put his hand in his bag. It never says he stopped. He says he's running quickly toward the battle line. He put his hand into his bag. He took it. He put a stone in it. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. He never got close enough to the Philistine for the Philistine to touch him or engage him. From a distance, I don't know if it was a distance of 10 feet, of 20 feet, of 30 feet, we, we're not told exactly. But he slung the stone from a distance. You see how calculated this was. And the stone sinks right into his forehead. It doesn't kill him. But, so, so, so obviously he must, his shield, must, his, uh, his uh, helmet must have had some opening. It sinks right into his forehead. The guy goes down. It says in verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. Remember, the stick he never used. The stick was just a ploy, thinking he was running with the stick. He struck the Philistine, killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So he killed the Philistine by striking him and cutting off his head. We don't know if the cutting off the head was the strike that killed him. Either he stabbed him through and cut off his head or cut off his head one and the same, killed him that way. But you see the calculated attack. Now let's, let's look at a lesson that we can learn from this. What David did back when he was explaining to Saul, Saul says, you can't do this, you're but a youth. And David's saying, this is not my first battle. Yes, this is my first battle against some great warrior, but this is not my first battle. You see, he says in verse 34, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it, and rescued it from his mouth. And, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. So you, you see, what God does is He puts us in positions that build up our faith. When I was finished with my sophomore year, I, I was doing research in a, in a lab that summer, and I moved into this beautiful house, which was about five blocks from campus, and was owned by this old man, and he would rent out rooms, and it was a beautiful house, and he had cleaners come, and, and uh, you know, he was very selective who he let in his house, and so I was renting a room in his house for that summer. It was clean and nice and, and very comfortable. We could use the kitchen and, and uh, 
And plus, for many of you know that I have trouble cooking. So my parents always bought me a meal plan at the university so I could go there and eat. That's where I ate. That's where I survived. But I had access to the kitchen should I need it. And I used it to, you know, make cereal. Um, but that summer, I started really getting excited about the Lord. That summer after my sophomore year. Really getting excited about, about Jesus. And one pastor challenged me to move into a discipleship program, which was a house about, oh, a half a mile from where I w- was already living. And I went out and checked out that house, and there were going to be nine other Christian guys. Now, remember, I had a beautiful house, beautiful carpeting, my own desk, my own room, very comfortable. And I went and I checked out this house, and it was so run down. It was, it was obviously a Christian house. <laughs> and uh, there was a gaping hole in the door for the bedroom, and I was to share the bedroom with two other guys, uh, one bedroom with two other guys. And, and uh, um, I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't until I, after I went there that I realized the heater didn't work. I didn't know it because it was the summertime. But come the winter in Syracuse, I knew it. The heater didn't work. I used to sleep because I eventually moved in that house with my boots on. It was so cold. It was freezing in that house. So anyway, you know, I didn't want to move. And I said, look, I am a serious student. I work very, very hard. And this pastor just looked at me and he quoted from 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. He said, the Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. And I remember going back to my comfortable little room and thinking, you know, here I have a very comfortable room. I can do a lot of good hard work. If I move into that house, I don't even know how serious those Christian guys are in studying. You know, they... You know, and, uh, but there was a discipleship program. We, we, would, we would learn and, and grow from those experiences. There's, there's some chairs up here, up near the front here. And so we would learn and grow from those experiences. And they'd have Bible studies in the morning and prayer meetings and things like that. And I knew it was the right thing to do. And I would have to leave this comfortable little place that I had. I'd have to leave this place and, and move into this other, other house with these guys but I did it. To me, that was a big thing. When I look back, that wasn't such a big thing. But at the time, it was a big deal. You know what that was? That was my fighting in the wilderness with, you know, not with a lion, not with a bear, but, you know, with a fox. You know? That, that, that was my little battle. And I took that verse and I just meditated on that verse. And you know what it did? It raised my faith. Then when I was living in that house after some months, the guy in charge of the house, who was one of, the, one of the, the associate pastors, he challenged us to do door-to-door ministry. We would go door-to-door in the neighborhood, knock on the door and share our faith and say, you know, we live right over there. And, you know, I just had all sorts of butterflies in my stomach. I didn't want to do this. And then I was, I was meditating in the book, book of Acts. Look at, look, look at the book of Acts, chapter 4. And when you read this, what do the Scriptures do? You read the Scriptures and it just raises your faith. This was now another spiritual battle for me, that I was confronted. In Acts chapter 4, if you look from, uh, uh, in, in Acts chapter 4, let me give you the context, that, that uh, uh, Peter, Peter w- w- was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and uh, people were healed and they were brought before this, this group of people, they were brought before this inquiry, so an inquiry was taking place with the religious leaders in, in, in that time. And so, if you look in verse 13, they're confronting Peter and John, Acts chapter 4, 13. 
Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle is taking place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. So here are Peter and John. They're brought before the religious leaders. And remember, these are just simple guys, uneducated, untrained men. And they command them, don't you ever speak again in this name of Jesus. Look at what Peter says in verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were glorifying God for what had happened. So so you see that that Peter and John said, you know, we're going to continue sharing. How can we not share what God has done for us? So here I was confronted with these scriptures where these guys were so bold. And they say, how could they not share what was done with them? What had been done for them? And I knew the work that Jesus did in my life. I knew the anger that I had before I knew God. And the thoughts of suicide and the anger and and what God did for my life. And the whole community of people that He built around me when I came to know Him. I knew what He did. And so then I said, yeah, I'll go door-to-door. I'll do it. And then after the door-to-door was open-air preaching on campus, you know, in front of all the people I know. And because of that, I've been able to share so much in my life. After you go door-to-door in your own community and you stand open-air on your own campus and start speaking about Jesus, all other sharing becomes pretty easy. God takes us through little battles. And as we step out in faith and do a step of faith, God takes us and leads us on. There were even, you know, I, I, I saw little battles occurring even in my research. I was working on the synthesis of this one molecule called grandisol, which is the male sex pheromone of the boll weevil. So the boll weevil, the male actually attracts the female. And it's grandisol that has wiped out the boll weevil uh, uh, infestation in this country. It's an amazing compound. And we were working on this synthesis. And... When I was working on this, uh, one visitor came, one other professor came from Berkeley. He says, oh, uh, Professor Leo Paquette at Ohio State University is working on Grandisol from the same intermediate. Well, you know, it would be really frustrating as you're working toward your thesis to have somebody else publish a paper on on the same intermediate. And so I really started to pray, you know, I, and, and, uh, and I had been meditating in Psalm, in, in Psalm 119, and, and here I was in graduate school, and I was meditating on this verse, and it's very clear what God says is going to happen if we meditate on His Word. And if you look in Psalm 119, God made it very clear, Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Verse 98, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Look what it says. It says, I will have more insight than all my teachers, 
because your testimonies and my meditation. And here's this guy, Leo Paquette, who at the time had over 600 publications. Powerful synthetic chemist. And here he was working on this. He said, Lord, you know, help me. Help me to get this project done. Help me to get this published. And God helped me. What happens is God takes us through little battles. And as we step in faith, take hold of His Word, He gives us victory. So that when we hit the Goliaths in life, we don't just get dropped in front of Goliath. It doesn't happen. God doesn't do that to us. He drops us in front of littler things. And we walk in faith. And we step out in faith of what God has given us. And He gives us wisdom and insight on how to approach things. I mean, where does David get this spirit of wisdom to know how to engage this man in a way that the guy didn't even know what was coming? He thought David was running right at him. He had all the tools he needed to dispel David. And then David is like, psych, I'm not getting any closer. And he throws that, that, that stone from his sling. He slings the stone at him. And the guy was totally unprepared. His javelin was slung across his back, unable to engage him at a distance. But he gives David wisdom for what he needed. This is what God does. God has a habit of doing this. He takes us through small little battles. And if we'll step out and say, you know, it's so comfortable for me in this apartment. And it's all set up. But if I go there, you know, it's cold. There's gaping holes in the door. I don't have a room all myself. I've got to share it with, with two other guys. And one of the guys was really sloppy. And, and, uh, uh, but what happened to me in that discipleship program for the last two years really built me up, really helped me. And, and it, it prepared me for marriage because it showed me how to live beyond just you know, my own little self, my own little comfort zone. It showed me how to live with other people, how to, how to you know, put dishes away. I remember the first night I, I, they were doing dishes and I went to take the, the silverware. They asked me to put the silverware away and I took all the silverware and I threw it in the drawer. One guy in the house said, what are you doing? I said, I put the silverware away. He says, that's not how you do it. So what do you mean, not how you do it? It's here. He says, no, this is the spoon column here. You put forks here. You put knives here. I mean, this is what women do. But this is also what Christians do. And I was learned in that house how to do that sort of thing. So, you know, I take it and learn how to put things in their proper place. Learn how to cook meals for other people. And I, and I learned a few meals, how to cook. And I still, to this day, know how to cook them. And, and because we had different nights we had to cook. I learned how to do dishes, other people's dishes. I learned how to serve other people. It was good for me. But what happened is I had to give up something that I felt very comfortable with. Something that was good for myself. Something that I was really comfortable with, I had to give up. God does that. And as we give it up, remember that it says, those who honor me, I will honor. I will honor you. God never forgets. Other people will forget. That's from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Those who honor Him, He will honor. People will forget. God never forgets the steps that you take to honor Him. The steps of faithfulness to honor Him. He will bless your life. He will bless your work. He will bless you with a good spouse. He will bless you with good children. God will do this. Those who honor Him, He will honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word.
Father, I pray for these young people that you would cause them to grow in faith and in the Holy Spirit. To lay down the things of themselves and to take up the things of Christ. To serve, to be active on campus, to give of themselves for the body of Christ and that you would honor them in return. That they would see and look back over their lives and see the hand of God guiding them. Father, that you would take them through the little Goliaths today, the little battles, and they would succeed in that to prepare them for the bigger things. So they need not run like other men. But Father, that they could stand and fight and say, the Lord has done this for me in the past. He will do it again. Father, let their faith be built up through the Word of God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.